everybody to another episode of Driven Minds Podcast. This is your host, Franz Bowen. It's your co-host, Trav Weeks. And uh, proud to report that we are uh, recording live from the LinkedIn offices in the Empire State Building. Feels great. Yes, sir. So monument to uh, entrepreneurship and power. It's all about level up season two. Exactly. (laughs) And speaking of leveling up, we have the ultimate uh, level up king himself, surreal entrepreneur. Uh, advisor, investor, uh, co-founder of Ali, uh, NC Obo et Ukuro. Close. Close. <laughs> <laughs> Almost had it. Almost had it. <laughs> Almost. I wasn't even going to try. I, was like, you know, no, I respect that. Yeah. I respect the attempt. That's, that's, that's what's the most important thing. So it's actually NC Obo et Ukuro. Okay. Yeah, you guys should just call me NC. NC. Yeah, NC. we can practice after hours. <laughs> Yo, definitely, man. Welcome yeah. to the podcast, and, and, you know, thank you for taking time to speak to us today. Indeed, thank you for indeed. Me. NC NC is one of them guys that, you know, you meet somebody, and for some reason, always circles back to this guy. You know what I mean? Nah. I've met a few people, and they've, they've always, a few people in this tech, media, entrepreneurship world, some of the the people who I really feel, you know, provide value in my life have always said, like, yo, you have to talk to NC, you have to build with NC, and this has happened repeatedly, so, you know, we were definitely uh, very happy to um, uh, have this podcast with him. Also, want to shout out Jonathan Jackson for also linking us up. So, yeah. thank you again for being on the podcast, brother. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've, I've definitely heard um, some marvelous things about you, um, and excited to have our audience hear these things. Um, like, tell us a little bit about uh, some of your, your, well, who you are first um, yeah. and where you're from and uh, your your teeth-cutting experiences in the world of entrepreneurship. Um, I ask that because I went on your LinkedIn page and after the first job, all it says is founder, yeah. you know, CEO, COO. So and that's tremendous to me. So mm. tell us a little bit about your, uh, your yeah, come who up. Who you are. Yeah, so first of all, we should lower the expectations. So I'm sort of, uh, I'm just an average dude, hmm. and I'm like humbly trying to make my way. Yeah. I'm still, still out here grinding. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done anything really marvelous yet, but I appreciate the accolades that you guys have I'll attempted di- to throw my way. I'll disagree, but go okay. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, my name is NC. Um, your first question was, how did I get started? Well. Where you're from, where I'm from. And, 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 and you're, okay. you're entering into the professional world. Yeah, so I'm from uh, a place called Rancho Cucamonga in Southern California. Oh, man. Friday? Friday? There you go. <laughs> you guys, you guys first Yo, I'm not going for the first like <laughs> half of my life, I thought that was like an imaginary place. No, I, no, I figured it out. It was real. So Uncle real. Elroy is just out there. Like. Yeah, yeah, most people don't even, I usually have to hit people with the reference and they go, no, I don't know what next Friday is. But that's, that's dope. You guys know what it is. Right oh, that's that. crazy. Yeah, so it's a real place. Classic right there. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I, was, I was born in LA, but my family moved to Rancho Cucamonga not too long after I was uh, like in my early early childhood. I spent most of my time there, then uh, went off to school in Cleveland for mechanical and electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Initially, I had this idea that I was going to um, become an engineer and become like this professor and like do stuff in nanotech, microelectromechanical systems, um, have like a tweed jacket and ascot, leather-bound mm-hmm. books, and hear about kids' problems all day and, mm-hmm. and teach them things. But I uh, cut that short, ended up at General Electric um, for a little bit. Then after that, went back to school, started another company called Mobile Discovery, which took me to D.C. Um, life happened. Um, we can get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, started another company called AndMath Tutoring, sold that, came to New York, um, worked for a law firm for a little bit, left that, and then started Alley wow. after, after some life. 
There's yeah. always life in between all of those things. Right, right. Yeah. Well, well, let me ask you, even from um, your upbringing, were you always this entrepreneurial type of person? Did you always know you wanted to, you know, um, do something that will impact people or even, you know, put yourself on that platform? Uh, yes and no. So I think, um, so when I was a kid, I've always wanted to create things. That's, mm. that's probably the most important thing. I've always wanted to create things. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an artist, so I drew a lot. Um, you know, took photos, but I also took things apart because I wanted to build things. So creating mm. things, building things. So it's sort of like this um, unsettled artistic side of me that wants to try to manifest something beautiful, but mm. um, I realized over the years that I'm not the best drawing anymore. Like, the folks are better at it than me. I'm, yeah. more, I'm more of like a, like a Quincy Jones, if you will. Not to even say I'm at that level by any means, but just <laughs> I, I can you. pull people together and hopefully create something. Absolutely. So uh, at an early age, that's what, we, that's what I spent a lot of time doing. Um, but also just putting people together, like creating uh, my family and I, we had these potlucks, we move into new neighborhoods and we bring people together over food. Um, so that was that really impacted how I just viewed how we could create opportunities for people. Right. Uh, my family, Eric Ken, Diana, all the folks who are in New York City, we still abide by that principle by trying to bring people together, mm-hmm. um, even with Ken and all these other things I'm sure we'll, we'll jump into. But um, ultimately, it was just about creating things. The first entrepreneurial experience, though, like actually making money from a transaction was probably, I mean, I've had a couple, but like my earliest hustle was selling pogs. I don't know if you guys know what pogs yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Earliest hustle was selling pogs at elementary school, you know, because we're in Southern California. It's that's pretty much nice all the time right. outside. So Is that when the bug bit you? I'm like, oh, I made some. Uh, yeah, yeah. Moving these bit, pogs in these streets. Yeah, bit me <laughs> then, and then I, had, then I went to comic books. I had a nice little stash until one of my guys stole my comic books. Mm. And to this day, I'm still looking for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of knocked that hustle off a little bit. Um, then my family got a computer, um, and I begged them to, to get me two CD writers. Because um, this is back when you had, you know, dial-up, internet. I remember those and, days. Yeah. yeah. So I spent my weekends downloading music. And this is like going into college now. So I, I was going to high school. I spent my weekends downloading music and creating these mixtapes and, you know, Finding albums before they were out and selling them inside the gym and selling them on campus or at least at school. At school, um, that was probably like the biggest time. I made the most money off uh, Dr. Dre's Chronic 2001. That was allegedly, allegedly uh, just in case made that they money. might yeah, feel away. Well. <laughs> you know what I'm allegedly saying? Did well. <laughs> Young Napster. <laughs> right. The Black Napster was early. You didn't even know. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. Did you? But also with um. I see your entrepreneurial side. Um, what is it that makes you also want to empower people? Because mm-hmm. a lot of your businesses, a lot of the jobs you've done, um, it always comes down to that central point of you like to empower you, your community, the people yeah. around you. What What is that? Is that something inside of you? What is, what is that? How does that happen? Yeah. So um, I've thought of, I've tried to think about like where that comes from, but I'm I'm in my family. I am effectively the older brother. Uh, okay. So it's sort of. I have a resp- I've always had this sort of responsibility, explicit or, 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 or otherwise, mm. to take care of people around me. Mm. Um, I know that. And I, I, get a, I get satisfaction out of that. So it's usually, for pretty much mostly everything that I've done, it's usually um, you before me. Gotcha. And sometimes in my decimal, sometimes otherwise, but that's just the way I, t- I like to roll. And I, I do take a lot of pride and joy in, in creating uh, a structure that other people can benefit from. And you see this in other cultures, you see this in other communities, when you have like 
you know, you have a support system. There's so much more you can get done. Um, the more net, the more connected you are, the easier it is for you to to to, to level up. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there are people who are literally sacrificing themselves to ensure that there's uh, there's a platform for everyone else to then level up upon and, and build up build mm -hmm. up upon. Mm -hmm. um, some folks want to like put their face on it, put their name on it, and other folks uh, don't. And I sort of I've been sort of like a behind the scenes person. The way that I can get the most value out of behind the scenes for me personally to kind of satiate my personal desires is also just to make sure that other people around there are shining. And like, how do I how do I put someone in the right position, or how do I uh, create an environment that's awesome. Um, yeah, like when we were talking about like the alley vibe, a lot of, like the architectural hues and like the, f the feeling in the space, a lot of that was like thinking about how could we indirectly just make people feel good when they walk into the space. Right. And because if you feel good, you're going to work better. Right. You're going to like be encouraged to talk to people. Right. Yeah. Um, we like intentionally create these, we cr create like these nooks and crannies where people can walk into each other without necessarily seeing each other before they cut the corner. Mm. So it's like serendipitous moments, like these things open up conversation. Nice. Um, all that stuff was um, sort of masterminded um, with this desire to help people um, get past themselves and connect with each other and be better. So it's it's always been a part of who I am. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And you know, even I, to piggyback your point, like the aesthetic of Ali is marvelous in that way. Like you walk in and you don't feel like a stranger. Yeah. Um, and you feel motivated, like you said, to accomplish all of that stuff. Like, how did you develop that eye to, you know, execute something like that? Because that's a that's a really well, raw gift to yeah, have. Yeah. To even go a step, but let's talk about what is Ali for the audience. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So Ali is um, Ali is one of the companies that started. It's a Let's call it a, a, a creative workspace, a workspace for creative entrepreneurs, um, founders, uh, people just creating something. Um, some people may regard it as a co-working space or an office space company. Mm -hmm. um, they may even put us in the same ilk as a WeWork, but we're better than a WeWork. There WeWork is like Starbucks or like Dunkin' Donuts, and yeah. we're like you know, your favorite blue bottle intelligentsia coffee shop. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I've ever had that type of coffee. Say that. Yeah, the aesthetic. Um, back to the aesthetic is Ali. Like even um, now that you're saying that, even when I'm when I'm realizing like walking in, like I love the open space on the yeah. fourth floor, right? And then also on the side, you have uh, you know the couches make you feel comfortable, and then also there's wording like it's different motivational quotes you can read either through the stickers or whatnot, and I like the, I could tell there was a thought behind that, like there's, you know, it was a, all this was by design. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even in the uh, development phase, um, to accomplish a, a space like Alley, again, which is a co-working space um, in Chelsea, Manhattan, definitely check it out if you guys have that opportunity. Absolutely. Um, but in order to accomplish that, there's several, I guess, rounds of, you know, idea having and meetings and all the other stuff, right. but on top of that is the financing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, could you speak about uh, how you courted those relationships um, to be able to uh, have people invest in s such a um, uh, forward-thinking idea? Usually people aren't as uh, forward-thinking to say, all right, I'm going to put my money down on the next wave of business. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, that's, it, was a, it was a challenging thing, to mm -hmm. be honest with you. It was sort of um, – and it wasn't something that happened overnight. So to take a step back, so we started our company five years ago. Okay. Um, and I can speak to a number of different times raising capital, but this, because you asked about this one, um, five years ago we started the company. We started the company without a, a solid sense of like what Alley is going to be. Right. 
Um, it was under a different name even when I joined. So I kind of adopted Ali to begin with, or I adapted, I adopted what Ali was. Mm-hmm. And then we changed the name, changed the branding, changed the direction of the business. Mm-hmm. Took us about two years to really find our groove and figure out what we wanted to do with things. Um, like despite whatever, whatever story might be out there, like sometimes in the beginning, we just didn't know exactly what this was all going to become. Right. And it, w- it didn't really coalesce until like maybe the second or as I said, second or maybe third year. So at that point, when we knew how we could monetize the business and how we could make the unit economics of the business strong and really scale this out, um, that's when we went out to start courting investors. Um, fortunately for us, uh, you know, the story had already been told by a WeWork. So like when we first started Alley, telling people what co-working was and trying to explain that to people was like, you know, it was like explain what an alien looks like. <laughs> right. Like it was still like a, you know, we had hackathons and the startup ecosystem was really hot at that time, so we were able to take advantage of it. But right. for folks who weren't in that startup ecosystem and weren't like, you know, uh, formerly unemployed millennials who were feeling the effects of the recession, uh, most folks didn't know what co-working was. Um, but we were came in and educated a good amount of the market. So now people saw this as an opportunity. They saw it as a viable place for them to end up working. So then the question became like, what are you? What's what else is out there? What other co-working spaces are out there? Like, what other what other kind of coffee is there? Imagine right. the first time you had coffee, someone, had, someone explained that to you, but you go to a Dunkin' Donuts, you go to a Starbucks, and mm-hmm. now you know what it is. Now you're looking for other kinds of Starbucks, other kinds of Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so once we got past that hump, it became it was easier to articulate and point to examples of what we would become. Mm-hmm. But the hard part then was explaining why we'd win. Um, and then finding investors who are line, in line with what we wanted to accomplish and why we wanted to accomplish it. And that is, that's like three or four podcasts. And we can bring my, my partner Jason in to talk about that. But that's, that's like a, that's a whole other endeavor. Even in the, pro- the project I'm working on now, right. you know, since I've left Alley in December, um, fortunately to be able to start working on new things, I've raised capital for different projects and I'm raising capital for another project now. It's all about story. And it's all mm-hmm. about like finding the right person at the right time, telling them the right thing. Mm. Um, but the right thing you have to make sure is in line with what you ultimately want, and then also kind of reverses from that from that direction. Yeah. Um, okay. And I stress that because like you can find somebody who wants to give you money because you said the right thing, but the right thing is not really what you want. Mm. So if, if that makes sense, like. I and to piggyback off that, yeah. I, I remember reading an article where you said, um, you know, one of the things that you wish you would have done previously was have um, quote hard conversations to kind of skew that story. What are Absolutely. what are some what are some of those conversations sound like, or what are some of those questions that you have to ask yourself in order to, you know, fine tune your pitch or story? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, one one big thing is, what does success look like? So like, mm. you, there there are a lot of really false signals that exist in the world, um, especially in this world that we're in when we're raising capital. You mm. think you're supposed to like have a hundred employees, have be bicoastal, um, have like raise ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. But really, because you've raised $10 million, doesn't mean you're successful. You could be like burning significant cash. You could have too many employees. Mm. Um, you could have no sense of real, what, of real direction for your business. But optically, you've created this shell that looks really appealing. Right. But inside, you're dying. Like mm. it's, and some, Sorry, people, some people need those vanity things to feel like they're successful. They want to be able to walk into a room and say, yeah, I just raised $10 million. And right, right. You, know, you know, we have two, two offices and we have 100 employees. But really, like, your employees don't have a solid sense of where everything is going. Right. And um, it's hard for them to really see where the next five, ten years are going. And is money actually trending towards profitability? Um, in another sense, success could be, I just want to be able to handle my rent. And 
I just need to be profitable enough that I can pay for the rent, my rent, and the rent of everyone on my team. And that's success for me because I don't want to be, I don't want to be bi-coastal. I just want to live comfortably. Mm. So it's like, if you were going to reach out to an investor to get you to that level, you structure your business based upon that. So what does it look like to be successful enough that I'm paying just my rent? Okay, how do I make this appealing to an investor? Mm. Like, what kind of story do I tell them? And what are the terms that they would agree to, uh, to invest? Right, right. Um, so then the next question then becomes, um, after you figure out like, exactly what your, why you're, what the right thing is, it's then like coming up with a hit list of folks you want to reach out to um, to help you achieve that. So yeah, so the right thing really kind of depends on what success it is. Yeah. Got you. So right. to your question, like the first, um, what are some of those conversations? It would have been things like just <clears throat> for that business, it was more like what does the first year look like? What does the second year look like? Where are we as a business? Like honestly, are we a seed stage business? Are we a series A stage business? Do we structure our business like like a restaurant would structure their business with some sort of dividend structure? Would mm. we structure our business like it's a venture-backed business where we're looking to go back out to market in, another, in a couple of years because we're going to keep seeding growth and we're not looking for profitability right off the bat? Mm. Like we're looking just to uh, keep fueling the business until we hit some sort of inflection point, at which point we are big enough to then say we're going to go for profit or gotcha. sell or IPO. Like right. what's And there's, there's different permutations from there, but like what is the – what does success look like for us as a business? Mm. Um, and those are, those, are, those are tough conversations to have because right. uh, it requires a degree of vulnerability and honesty um, right. and just openness with everyone on the team um, and also just accepting sort of the reality of where you are financially. Because right. sometimes, you know, you're making decisions, and this is not the case with Ali, but I've seen this with businesses I've advised. Sometimes people are raising capital out of desperation and less so which is, you know, just sort of like a reality of the of the of the terms of the of the world. But sometimes they're they're justifying what right is because they're desperate because like they haven't found a way to be profitable or um, they're running out of money and they feel like they the only way they can sort of keep the business going is by raising capital. So they raise capital for the wrong reasons and right. they end up like growing into the wrong thing and they bring on the wrong kinds of investors and then you have like these battles amongst the team. So on, it really kind of depends gotcha. on. What you got? What right is to you? What success looks like to you? That actually answered my next question because I was wondering, like, for because there's a lot of companies, even a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs right now looking to raise funds. There's yeah. different. I mean, it, what you just talked about is really dawned on me. There's different stages of of um, of raising funds. Like you can raise funds specifically just for growth ca capital. That's right. So I guess for to show an investor what the investor wants to see the most, they want to see the end game. Would you say, or they want to see, you know, where the company is going or. I think I think it really depends on the stage of the business, what you're looking for as a business or as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and then the investor you're speaking to. So, like, stage of the business, you could be at the idea stage, um, where you have this really stellar concept, and you haven't built anything yet. You just feel really excited about the concept, and you feel like you personally and the team that you've been able to recruit up to that point mm -hmm. are best aligned to achieve that story. Um, so it's just an idea; it's just in the air. So the people you're going to typically get as investors are people who believe in you and the story. Mm -hmm. So what you're showing them is that you and the story are dope. Like this, like they see, they see the twinkle in your eye, they feel the excitement. They're like, yeah, I want to get on this ride. Um, I don't know exactly that we're going to make it, but I feel like we're, this is going to be a good journey. I want to bet in on this. So this is a much riskier proposition. And that investor is, they want to know that you're thinking about the future, but they are also accepting of the idea that in two months, that future will change because you'll, You'll jump in and you'll be like, you know what? That story I told you before, 
it's 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 shifted a little bit. And they're like, cool, I get it. I believe in you. Just t- just keep telling you the story as we go. Um, as the business starts to evolve a little bit and get to like C stage or Series A, um, the direction of the business has to be much clearer um, because they're putting up a lot more capital at that point. And you have already burned, you've already spent a certain amount of money. So you should have a lot more story, um, a lot more certainty, a lot more pages in the book have been written. Right. So you should know where you're going at that point, more or less. Absolutely. Um, so again, it really depends on like, the stage of the business. The earlier you are, it's a different type of investor from like a year in, from like a two years in, from like three years in. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it sort of depends. You have to align your story with the, with the investor. Gotcha. So I see a lot, a lot um, of what you're doing now, what you've done in the past, you've, a, you've been able to cultivate really great relationships. Mm-hmm. Is there a, a formula for that? Or is it more like, um, you know, you're working and you're able to, like, reach out to a certain team and everybody just has a specific task? Um, yeah, there's, there's no real formula. I, I will honestly say that I could still be better. There's a lot of things I could be better at. And one of them is probably building uh, more and more relationships or, you know, stronger relationships in certain certain areas that we all have our blind spots. But um, the, the strategy there has just really been being authentic and being honest and being genuine what it is I'm trying to do. Yeah. Like there's, are we allowed to curse on this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? yeah talk you your, sure? Talk your shit. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not a big fan of fuckboys. Like I, mm-hmm. I have like a no fuckboy policy. Right. Um, I don't like any squares in my circle. I think it's like a Drake verse or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and because it, it does skew like the way you see things. Like you'll have people, if you have a bunch of yes people around you and you're pursuing something that you think might be a good idea and everyone around you is validating what you're saying and no one's like drawing, no one's pulling your coat, no one's telling you like, mm-hmm. no, that's, that, that's, not a, that's not the best idea because of this. That's right. not the best idea because of that. It could really, you could end up getting into, a, into an engagement that turns sour and then that relationship now, is now sour with that person or that, that business you've gone into. Mm-hmm. And despite you being a good person, the business, the, the initial terms of the business, of the business transaction, the business partnership were wrong. Mm. And it can be hard for people to kind of reconcile past that. So two very, I've had instances where it's two very good people, um, myself and another person, um, and we get into a business arrangement, um, not completely aligned, um, and no one in our respective circles like called it out. Um, then we go off a couple months, a couple years, and there's always, well, not even a couple years, it doesn't even last that long, but a couple months, and it gets real tense. Mm-hmm. And we start to think it's because of us as individuals, but it's not, it's because we were being, t- we were trying to make two different stories line up. Mm. Um, and no one in our circles called it out. Like, no one in our circles said, like, yo, I don't think these guys are the right guys for us. It's like, it's like when you're dating somebody and, and your boys or your girls, don't, no one tells you, like, why are you dating that dude? Right, right, right. What's going on? Yeah, why are you yeah. dating that, that woman? Like, what's, why are you doing that? Uh-huh. Like, stop. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah, and then the relationships get bad and you guys, you know, harbor all these feelings. So it all goes back to, being authentic, so to myself, but I also try to surround myself with people who ensure that I'm remaining authentic. That like the pile of money that looks like it's right there across the table with that other partnership is not tied with all these other strings, um, such that my relationships can remain intact. Cool. And nice. even taking audit in those relationships, like when do you when do you um, know when to pay attention, yeah. and when do you dismiss? When do I know to pay attention? You mean like the advice and all yeah. that? Yeah. Um, that's a good question because I think <clears throat> the more experience you have, um, so like there's there's these kids that I mentor on the weekends, um, and you know 
they're they're all preparing themselves to go off to college, which is great. Uh, one of the things I tell them when I went back to college, when if I was to go back to college, is to try to create as many things as possible. Um, try to partner up with as many people while in college as possible, because you need to get you need to build your muscle of sensing bullshit and like like what is right for you, like what's like your gut. You need to learn to trust your gut, because mm-hmm. there's a certain time when your gut is really strong and you trust your gut. You have enough life experience to be like. I believe in myself in this particular instance more than anyone else. And despite everyone else saying yes or everyone else saying no, you go, no, I believe in this. I'm moving on this. It's, but that's because you vetted, your, you vetted yourself up right. to that point. Mm-hmm. You've had enough life experience to tell you, like, you make the right decisions in this particular scenario. Um, but the times that you uh, then listen to other people is when you're really not sure. Or, like, you, you've acknowledged you have a weakness in something or you don't have enough skills in something. So, like, when I assemble teams now, <clears throat> I'm usually assembling around my weaknesses and I'm also looking for people who have very diverse points of view for myself. Mm. Um, I'm so, uh, in some senses, I'm an old guy. In some senses, I'm not. But I've lived quite a bit of life t- up to this point. Um, so there's certain things I'm very confident about. And there are other areas that I need, I need people on my team to support me. In those areas, I'm very confident. I'm very open, and I'll listen to it. But there's a good chance that if my gut is telling me, now we need to do this, we're going to make that call. We're going to make that call. Gotcha. Um, but I try to surround myself with people who are going to help me fill in the blind spots as we go forward. Absolutely. Dope. So <laughs> tell us a little bit more about um, Minds Matter. Uh, you, you said that you had um, you had uh, moved on from Ali. Yeah. A great experience. Um, was ready to do something more. Um, what is Minds Matter and, and, and how is that uh, facilitating the next uh, level of your business? Yeah, yeah. So um, to kind of pull that all together, so Minds Matter, All Star Code, um, even Alley. I mean, these are Minds Matter is focused on helping kids from um, underprivileged backgrounds uh, get into college. So we spend the bulk of our time um, taking these kids, who are typically like the first kids in their family, uh, first people in the family to go off to go off to college. We try to equip them with the soft skills and the hard skills that will ensure that they get into college. That they get into like top tier colleges like Harvard, Stanford, and all these other things. Nice. Um, so these are like these are kids who are whose families are making maybe 30k, um, live in New York City, have four to five people in their family, um, and these are kids who are coming from like deep in the Bronx to go to school in Lower Manhattan, mm. taking like two hour commutes every single morning, um, wow. and they're grinding every single Saturday. They spend the entire Saturday with us, and we're going over SAT, we're going over English competency, um, we're uh, helping them fill out applications for summer programs and improve their applications so when they apply for college. Um, the motivation for me to do that is that we just need more strong players um, who look like us and have similar life experiences to be in these schools, yeah. contributing not only to the story of these schools, but also helping to contribute to the story of all of our communities. Yeah. You know what I like about that is <coughs> that, um, and even your point that resonated with me is you're helping individuals who are first generation, yeah. you know, um, graduates or what have you going to college. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, Sometimes these children will have so much drive and, and um, you know, wherewithal, but they don't have the tools because their parents right. can't give them certain information. So the fact that you're filling in that gap before they get to school is, is very tremendous. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I just wish we could do, we could do more. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I, did, I started that before Ali. I was, I was there actually um, bef- between my last company and Ali. Um, and... Uh, met up with some folks at Code 2040 um, pretty much like the, a week or so before I started Alley. Um, and the same is the case for All Star Code. All Star Code was one of the first groups that we 
uh, completely underwrote when it came to having space in our space. Like, mm -hmm. So their first year, we put them in a space and said, we're going to rock with you guys to make this happen. So also code is similar in the sense they're focusing on helping young black uh, boys, young black and Latino boys, um, young men, I should say, mm -hmm. um, develop their skills in coding. Mm -hmm. um, so it's another really solid program to, to ensure that the pipeline and the ecosystem is much more diverse and much more right. reflective of the way the country's going to look in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Speaking of that coding, do you feel like, I think I was reading something on Watch, I forgot what it was, but they have like programs now where they feel, well, I think Steve Jobs even said this, where you feel like kids should be able to code by the time they're like 12 years old. Do you feel like that's a skill set now, like um, in the future that everyone should have? Yeah, I, so I, I kind of go back and forth on that. <clears throat> Um, just because I think that, so when I was, when I was a kid, um, I knew I was going to become an engineer. I was committed to it. And <clears throat> a lot of my teachers told me that in order for me to have a uh, upper hand on my colleagues, I needed to be able to speak um, because typically engineers can't articulate themselves mm. as well as everyone else. Ah, um, okay. And that I should be able to write. Mm. So I do think, and I, the tie-in there from writing and coding is that coding is really just another language. Like, it's another way to speak and communicate with the world. And as, become, as the world becomes more and more digital right. um, and it becomes more and more under your own control, I think there's a significant benefit in finding comfort in being able to code. Mm. Um, just like I wish I still spoke Spanish. Like, you know, there's... Yo, me too, man. Yeah. Natalia's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> supposed to be teaching me. Okay. <laughs> so, like in the community, like the, my next my next project is is focused on particular communities, and there are many moments when I'm approached with a Dominican mother, and I can't speak a, a lick of Spanish. I don't know what mm -hmm. they're saying. Um, but at the same time, um, if I was to go a different path in business, there would be an instance where I need to build something on my own, just a proof concept. And there are kids that I've worked with who can have an idea today and come up with an MVP, a minimum viable product today. And there's something very powerful about that, to be able to like, test something today, reach out to people on social media, reach out to your friends, say, try it, tell me what you think about it, iterate on that same weekend, and then right. on Monday have something really solid to move with. Mm. Um, but that being said, like, I think the skill above coding is the ability to tell stories and then the ability to rally people around your story. Because mm. you can always find that person who can code. Um, that person who can code may not want to raise money. That person may not want to like do marketing because right. marketing is a skill set. Absolutely. Um, so is telling stories. So is so is so is creating. So is uh, you know videography, finding the visuals. Like all of these things are are strong skills to have. Mm -hmm. And I think that sincerely, like as technology starts to progress, and coding definitely becomes more and more prominent. Technology becomes more and more prominent. Mm -hmm. Our ability as human beings to be creative and to manifest our ideas is going to be more important than just coding. Like coding is just one of the many things we have to get better at. We have to get better at communicating with each other, right. getting past our bullshit, like, you know, getting past our biases so we can like find those really awesome moments, those those stellar ideas and put them out into the world. Right. Um, that's where like coworking comes in, you know. Well, subtle plug. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, being able to get together and have conversations and all that. Right, that's right. dope. Um and see you've you've had a lot of success, you'd say. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't we'd say, say that. Um, I mean, you're well, I, we've had failures and success, sure, yeah. but you know, by and large, you, your your narrative um, has has been one of you know some tremendous success. Um, to others, and in when you're in constantly in a season like that, you know, you develop a certain momentum. Yeah. Um, what are certain challenges that you've met, you know, recently that kind of took you by surprise and and you had to like kind of circumnavigate or even just blow through? Yeah. 
Um, that you didn't anticipate once you've reached a certain level of, you know, wherewithal and acumen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good question. I'm trying to think of trying to think of an instance. I would say that so without like saying exactly what it is I'm working on. Um, so I've I've been fortunate enough to build a couple of businesses, the most recent being Alley, and get it to a point to where I can now work on some other things. Um, and one of the projects I'm working on now is is different. Um, there are similarities in the sense that we're building community um, around some of the most primal things possible, but mm. the the uh, the, the skills required to gain people's confidence is different than what I have right now. Like, I can sell the idea of community. People love that concept. But the other pieces are harder. So the it's not to say I'm surprised by it. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I understand that there's going to be questions around certain things that I may not have skills in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I don't really have the best answer for that question, even as I think this out, out loud. I can't say I've been surprised by anything. I should say, right. even when I've been like like done dirty, uh, or betrayed, or whatever, and that happens in business, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't surprised by it because you, being in the people business, you get used, you get Absolutely. good at reading people. Like, right, indeed, you're gonna do me dirty someday. Right, I feel it. I just need to do my best to protect myself, and if I don't, then you got me. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I'm not surprised by it. Mm. Um, so it's more of a. Would you say it's more of um, developing a. a attitude or or uh, a skill of your developing your your shell of your acumen to be able to withstand those blows yeah i think there's um <clears throat> you should you sh- i think we should all be we should all spend time especially i'm gonna stand on my podium here um <laughs> the more underrepresented you are you need to build up your you need to build up your resilience because as much as we want the world to change um, you have to be able to go into a room and sell something despite the fact that the world has not changed yet. Like, despite the fact that people don't have the bias about you, you need to push past that. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to, like, somehow convince, like, finesse the situation, build up, you know, rely on your stronger skill, your stronger acumen right. to push past that and make that deal happen. Yeah. Um, so I think that, <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think just overall you have, to, you have to spend more time building that strong shell, that strong uh, resilience against things. How do you? Well, I'll cut oh, okay. this out. Oh, gotcha. Let's do it. Yes, yeah, so cut this out. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm gonna wrap up with a few questions. But last, my last couple questions. Number one is, um, where do you get inspiration for your next project? Like, how do you know which direction you're gonna go for your next project? Yeah. And, uh, and <coughs> sorry, is it people coming to you or is it you conceiving them? Um, I would say like for my <coughs> since I left Alley, there's. A couple of things I've 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 launched and um, the things I'm working on now are all inspired by uh, life in general. So, like I would say, like the thing I'm working on that I'm so excited about right now is has been on my mind for like a decade. It's been wow. it's been sitting there for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's just a question like how do we do it? Right, right. Um, and when is the right time to do it? And you get inspiration from those things just as people are starting to talk to you and as you start traveling, um, as you start reading. I try to spend as much time as possible meditating and going to the gym and working myself to failure. Meditation is key. Yeah, doing things that just make me uncomfortable, um, like I skydive. So like that's that's some scary shit, um, especially if something doesn't go so well. <laughs> um, so you know, and once you get past those moments and once you meet somebody new, you walk away with something fresher. It it sharpens your perspective on things. So it's getting more life. Like again, 
I hate to make another plug, but more <laughs> life. You know, more life. Just as much life as possible. More <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. OVO and that's someone. You are on Driven Mind, so we ask all our, all our um, guests this question. And it's, um, what drives you? You know what I mean? What wakes you up in the morning to keep going, doing what you do? And, you know, be NC. Yeah. Uh, what drives me? That's a good question. Being broke. <laughs> Say that again, brothers. I don't mean like just financially, but I mean um, broke just in mindset. Mm. Like a broke mindset is worse than having zero dollars in the bank. Mm. Like have like like there's a scarcity mindset and abundance mindset. There you go. I've been broke. I've been homeless. Like I've slept in my car for two months and built a company out of it. Sold the company. How real um, is that? It's it's sort of your mindset just shifts. And there can be times when the entrepreneurial experience where you're starting something. It's brand new, <clears throat> you're by yourself, and scary. And like, you don't have money, and you don't know exactly how to sell it to people. Um, but you have to push, you have to like try to find the joy in it, in this, this journey, and realize that there's a lot of resources in the world, whether they be people, you can walk up on the street and just walk up to, especially in New York City. Like, mm. I pitch people on the street mm. in my neighborhood. I walk out, mm. you know, like, I'll, I'll write my idea Got your elevator down. pitch ready? I always do it. Like, I walk on the street, get, get coffee, and I walk up and somebody, hey, can I, can I pitch you on something real quick? And I've got investors from that. Like legitimately, I've gotten a guy. One day you said you walking around and you just giving out money for. No, it's not. It's like, hey, yo, like, <laughs> yo, like, I love this idea. Let, let's talk a little more. I got about five it. on it. <laughs> yeah, as yeah. you can see me outside of the yeah. neighborhood. Like, <laughs> no, but it all it all it all kind of goes back to you know just finding like, leveraging all the resources around you, yeah. using everything you possibly can. So. The, the the fear of ever sort of getting comfortable with a broke mindset mm. is what keeps me awake late at night and forces me to get up very early in the morning. Wow, it's dope stuff. That's fire. And, um, you know, where can we find you on the uh, interwebs if somebody wants to, you know, knock on your door for some wisdom? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I'm not a big social media person. Um, I've, been, I've been suggesting... Don't tell me you got a Yahoo. No, no, I have, I have a proper email. No, I'm wrong. That's email. But, uh, uh, yeah, so you can email me at nsi at harlem, H-A-R-L-M dot com. Um, I am on Twitter. Uh, I'll do my best to respond. <laughs> I'm on Instagram, same deal. You probably find me best on SoundCloud. I spend most of my time on SoundCloud. So soundcloud.com forward slash nsi. Okay. Yeah. Fire. Smooth. Man, thank you for uh, speaking to us and giving us these gems. Absolutely. Anytime. And, um, thank absolutely. you for having me. We look forward to walking the street with you uh, to find some of this gold. <laughs> <laughs> like we always say this time. Stay driven, y'all. Stay driven.